Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to uh, have an opportunity uh, to talk together again today on this uh, wonderful story of the, the the parable of the prodigal son, which brought about a book, The Prodigal God, looking at the extravagance of God, who, as we understand the gospel now, at great cost, God humbled himself and came to us in Christ. And at enormous expense and abandonment of glory. And then uh, this author has uh, written a commentary on this parable, and we've reviewed it just by, is anybody that hasn't been here the last two weeks? Okay, well, you're the fortunate ones. You only have <laughs> one week. But we've looked at the story of the prodigal son and how it fits in two two chapters of Luke's Gospel, 14 and 15, where the Lord is telling other parables that are parables of the kingdom. And so we understand the story of the prodigal son to be a place where the Lord is defining to us something about the character of God, the character of the Gospel, and the character of what eternity will be like. And then last week, we looked at the uh, role of the, particularly the role of the elder brother, <clears throat> the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews of Jesus' time were the people that Christ was talking about in the role of the elder brother. And we could see that uh, they uh, had fallen into a religiosity which was very much based on a moral basis and a behavioral basis. And then you bring in the story of the prodigal who shows up at home, and he doesn't fit any of the qualifications, yet the father has accepted him and saved him on grace. And so we see the, the triumph, if you will, of, uh, of the grace of God, uh, without which we all would continue to be lost. We see that this parable tells us that the whole human race is a race of exiles. All the way from our federal parent, Adam, um, all the way till now, the story of, of humankind is that we have lost our appropriate relationship with God. If God is our Father, and we are his children, then heaven's our home. And humankind uh, have strayed from that relationship, choosing to do it again. And you can ask God when you get to heaven why he made us with to be the way that we were, and we know that he made us a whole lot like him, but he certainly did make us hard-headed and, and having a mind of our own. But we see in this story that the grace of God triumphs every sin. By grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. The grace that saves us, it is a radical grace. And so we see that the action of the Father in this parable is a very radical thing that, that flies in the face of the moralism 
of the, the people of God in his day, the Jewish people, their uh, look at as very much a matter of what you're doing and whether you're doing it right and whether your hands are clean. And uh, they're into rules and regulations. And here's a story that flies right in the face of it. I think probably if we were to look elsewhere in the Bible for uh, examples of that, you can't get any any better than the, the story of the woman that got brought by these same religionists who were trying to trap Jesus. And so they go out and find some uh, woman. Where was the man? There had to be a man and a woman, right? And they and but these these guys show up with no, nobody but the woman, and uh, she, according to the law, they say, should be stoned. And how does Jesus handle that? He first really addresses the self-righteousness of the ones that he brought, the, the self-serving side of that. And we see again this love of God expressed in Christ. When Jesus said, where are your accusers? There aren't any, neither do I accuse you. And then, of course, he, he, he obviously tells her to change the way she's living, you know. But we see the grace of God that is not measured by the way us human beings. Had we been the ones designing the gospel, we'd have set it up on a, on a who deserves it basis. We're just like that. You know, we, 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 would, we would definitely be a point system of some sort. But we see that, that the love of God is greater than any sin that we've ever committed. Isn't that good news? That's great news. That's great news. Otherwise, we'd all be going to hell. We see that grace is free and undeserved, but it ain't cheap. It costs God. It costs God an enormous amount. Look what it cost Jesus to come to this earth. A poor child born out here in either a stall or a cave. And like the story of the God's people exiled in Egypt. I was thinking about that this morning. How long do you think Jesus stayed in Egypt? He could have been there a couple of, two or three years, in which case he could have returned to Nazareth uh, as, a, say, a three-year-old and might not have known anything. What if they stayed, the Bible doesn't tell us, what if he stayed down in Egypt until he was six or seven, living the role of an exile in a foreign land? You with me? Jesus portrayed that. He comes to us without name. He comes to us without honor. He comes without a title, without a badge. He is a, a nobody in his town. Just an ordinary fellow. As I said, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know him. We know his father. We know his mother. We know his brothers and sisters. Who does he think he is? He made himself humble, extraordinarily humble and dedicated uh, himself to living as the Father uh, had what to do, living to accomplish what the Father had intended for him to do. 
But we see that humility. And then we see how God sends the Holy Spirit to us uh, as a, a corrective for us. Sends the Holy Spirit to comfort us, yes. But this Holy Spirit, in, in John 8, He comes to convict the world of sin, to tell us what real righteousness is, and it isn't the foolishness that these people in these parables think is, is righteous. To convict us of sin and tell us right from wrong, to tell us what genuine righteousness is, and to uh, lead us uh, in an understanding of who we ought to be. So here's the gospel then. A, a radical approach to religion. A real change. Not based on moral uh, the, the moral capacity or the moral behavior of any of us. That's the gospel. And so we are accepted by God without any credentials. Without having to pass any test. Obviously, when God comes into our lives, in the same sense that he said to the woman, go and change the way you're living. Don't live your old way. That is an expectation. But our sins are canceled when he comes in. Here's the prodigal son coming home. What's the first thing the father does? He restores the relationship. Number one thing, before the boy can get out of his mouth, all of his repentance, the father is already busy giving him back the the articles, a, a, a new robe, some new shoes, uh, a ring on his finger, the signet ring on his finger, and proclaiming uh, a party. Um, so fast that, again, the boy never even got out half of what he was going to you know, tell to his father in his bankruptcy reconciliation plan. And the Lord is showing us in this that what this, this whole thing is about is about relationship. And so when we think about the way the boy was treated, the reception that he had, and, uh, and the relationship that was restored, we see a part of it. Now today, the last part, I want you to get ready with your stories. I'm not going to tell you any more cock and bull story of, like about the Vidalia onion farmer. Uh, but that's what the elder brother should have been, right? Should have been. But he wasn't. And that's who we need to be. In the story of the sheep and the goats, when we get to heaven, the separation is going to be, I was a stranger, I was sick, I was hungry, I was in prison. Uh, and you came to me. Oh no, Lord, when did we see you? We see that this idea of the spiritual and the physical, and the spiritual and the supernatural, natural. The Bible gives us um, a lot of different hints and leaves us with with our mouths gaping wide open to figure all that out. But if the, if the last point in this parable is about homecoming and restoration of relationship, and the fact that we are indeed destined to be God's children, then what's it going to be like? 
Now, I've said to you already that in the Last Supper, the Lord said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine with you again until I drink it with you in the in, in, in heaven. In Isaiah, the 23rd chapter, the scripture says, The Lord will provide on this mountain, Israel, uh, Jerusalem, the finest of meats and the finest of wines. And the Lord, in giving us the most spiritual lesson of all, that he's going to be in us and we're going to be in him. He's going to be our father. We're going to be his children, breaks bread and gives people wine. So now the good question is, in, or a question, at least my question, when we get to heaven, what's it going to be like? I've already suggested that I don't think it's going to be smoke and mirrors, and I don't think we're going to be little cloudlets floating around, you know, with harps and wings and stuff like that. Heaven's going to be real. But when we start getting around to what real is really like, what's real going to be? What do you think heaven's going to be like? One of my mother's dearest friends, Miss Leona, uh, was talking uh, to my brother and me once when we were down visiting my mother. She was really concerned about what heaven was going to be like. A Christian lady all her life, full of doubt. She really didn't think heaven was going to be much. It was going to be, it was going to be a, a cloudy kind of something that wasn't very real, and it was bothering her. What do you think heaven's going to be like? I'd like to think it's like the book, Heaven is Real. Yes. So, a baby sister who who could not be born, maybe just a miscarriage, becomes a real sister in heaven. And you saw his grandfather. I got a grandfather over there. I'll be glad to see. Yeah. Born in 1870. Died when I was 12 lived in our home with us when I was a kid. I remember how the old man smelled. You know, the musty. Watching him shave sitting at a table with a little ceramic bowl of, of water and a straight razor. I never saw anybody else shave with a straight razor. I really want to see him. You know? I'm looking forward to it. You got anybody over there you're looking forward to seeing? Heaven should be, in that sense, a very, very real homecoming. It's where we're supposed, should have been destined to go anyhow, okay? You're only going to miss heaven if you insist on missing it. You have to insist, you have to insist, as the elder brother did, you have to insist in staying outside in the dark. Everybody else is invited to the party, including you. But, of course, if you insist on staying on the outside, then you don't attend the party. And Jesus has described heaven as, in so many ways, as a feast. Let me ask you this. Let's look at the pre-resurrection and the post-resurrection Jesus. After Jesus was gone and the disciples, Peter said, I think we need to go fishing, right? 
So it's going to take him a couple of days to walk back up to Galilee. They're up in Galilee. They're out in the boat, right? They fished all night. Remember the story? And Jesus appears on the shore. How did he get there? You think Jesus walked from Jerusalem to Galilee? Post-resurrection body? He appeared, right? How did he get there? You don't know and I don't know. He was very real. He ate fish with them. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus fished? you think Jesus beat them there and went fishing for a little while and caught the fish that he was giving them? <laughs> you see, we have a mixture here of spiritual and supernatural. You have what you can figure and what you can't figure. How is it Jesus could appear in a room? Nobody seems to be overly particularly upset about it. And there's no indication that in his post-resurrection state that Jesus was living with them day by day and doing all the stuff he'd have been doing. The, the scripture used the word appear. And I'll tell you one that we're talking now about what the spiritual body and what the hereafter is about. In the 18th chapter of Genesis, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. The same word appeared. And here was the deal. He came to Abraham to give him the promise of Isaac. And also, before he leaves, he tells him the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you have Abraham arguing with the Lord, if you could get it down from 50 to 40 to 30 to even 10 people, would he spare the city? And But here's the deal. How did Abraham recognize the Lord? You ready for this one? Because three men appeared under a tree. Where did three come from? I don't know of any other place. That's the 18th chapter of, of Genesis. I don't know of any other place where you see the three persons of God. But all the way through the language of that chapter, go home and read it. It's just the Lord. He doesn't say, my Lord's the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, the Lord. Three men. And what did the Lord do while he was visiting with Abraham? Abraham said, wait a minute, I'll go get you some water. Wait a minute, goes and tells his wife, get busy fixing a, uh, a meal. And he goes out and gets a, an animal out of the herd. He fed them a meal. Or he fed him a meal. But him was three men. They looked like men. And it's the Lord. Can you figure that? So, you with me? We, we've got some things we're not going to figure out. We're not going to figure that one out. You still can't figure how in the world Jesus went to heaven. Well, what he went? And disappeared. Now, what are we going to be like on the other side? Post-resurrection, Jesus was real, very, very real. He ate fish with them on the, by, the, by the, the sea. When we get to heaven and the Lord prepares the feast that I've mentioned already, the great marvelous feast of finest meats and finest wines, does God have a stockyard in heaven? You reckon Maybe. it? Kept the, I'm, I'm serious. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, he might. He wants one. God has a herd of cattle. Uh, good answer. 
But you, you see, we don't have an answer to that, right? So then, should we just... Should we? Oh, okay. <laughs> you way out ahead of me. Uh, that's great. Um, but should we see heaven as that real? Should we see heaven as real as Jesus was post-resurrection? Would that be real enough? Should we expect that we will, according to the scriptures, be like him? And Paul spends the whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians with a long discussion about life after death. He said, if, if all we've got is what we've got right here, those of us who are following the Lord have got to be the most miserable people in the world. You know. But the man that said that was the same man who was stoned to death. Uh, so was it Lister, Lister or Derby? About one of those. Left by the group that did the stoning. And as one of the commentators would say, they knew how to stone you. And when you left, when they left you, you were dead. And the scripture tells us that after that stoning, Paul got up and walked with his companions to the next town. Can you imagine that? So maybe when he writes the 13th, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, maybe he knows a little something to tell us. He says in his way of not bragging on himself, I know a man who was lifted up to the, was it third or seventh heaven? Third heaven. And saw, he said, unspeakable things. Maybe I will just shut up. Maybe we're talking about unspeakable things. But heaven, whatever it is, is going is 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 said in the scriptures to involve uh, some very real real things that we would be doing. What do you think? We, what do y'all think we'd be doing in heaven? Paul, I remember one time Jesus being questioned by the Pharisees about brother has died and he's got to take another... You have seven husbands to one wife. And then Jesus says, if you got it wrong because in heaven you won't be given in marriage or taken in marriage. Yes. But we will be his angels. Yeah. And that's sort of weird. I don't know what an angel is. Yeah. <clears throat> we don't know, do we? No. This is... It's... it's uh, I think we have to know that it's real. But we already know enough about being real to know that everything that we think is real, some people would say is just a wavelength, right? You and I are almost totally empty space, and so is concrete, and so is steel. We, I've said this in here before, haven't I? Yeah. And that you've got to take it out to the decimal point and go out 13 spaces and put a one to get any material stuff and we know that anytime you get anything that's material, if you look at it long enough, it starts looking like energy. But then if you look at the energy for a little while, it starts looking like material. And we don't actually know. Nobody's got any idea how it can be like that. You think, um, Tom, you think the Lord might just totally recreate heaven and earth and a new heaven and a new earth with brand new physics? If he would like to. If he would like to. But 
but we really don't know how these things are going to be. What are, what are your thoughts about heaven and what you're looking forward to and what you what you who you're looking forward to? Heaven's about relationship. Got anybody over there you're looking forward to seeing? Hmm? Sure. Who? My daughter. Daughters? No. Daughter. Daughter. Mothers. Grandpapas. Sam Mosier, my neighbor. Did I mention Sam in here? Sam Mosier, my neighbor, had a son named Sammy. Helped build our house. Sammy was on a tractor and hit the fence and the barbed wire came loose and choked him and cut his throat and he died. And Sam was not uh, a card-carrying Christian. And um, Sam was having open-heart surgery and saw his boy running across a field to him and telling Sam to go back. Y'all believe those kinds of stories? You believe the story of this four-year-old boy in Heaven is Real? And Don Piper's story of having been having been dead 90 minutes? And how about the story of Lazarus dead four days? Boy, I wonder what Lazarus had to say when he got back. What, what, what else do you think about when you think about heaven? Yes. I think it's <clears throat> on a whole different level. I, for me, I do not think it is this world and our needs here mm -hmm. and our physical human requirements, you know, up in heaven. I, I would think it's much more ethereal <coughs> and cerebral. And that. So what would that be like, or do you know, or do you care? I think you have the, you know, I think it's peaceful and the emotions of love, and that's, and you recognize each other through energy. You know, you don't look the same. The, more, the Mormons think that each of us will be given our own planet and an opportunity to become little, little, little gods. Oh, my goodness. I don't want that. What do you think? Do you think you'll have a job in heaven? you think we'll be... I mean, you've got to be doing something to get mighty boring and doing nothing. You have to contribute. You have to contribute. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that by being saved, God has already placed us in heaven sitting beside Christ. That's our, our destiny if you believe the Bible. So what's, uh, what's heaven going to be like? You think it'll be? Yes. Uh, I think we've wasted a lot of time trying to define heaven by terms that we know yes. by definitions of time and space that we know, and we're trying to, to me, limit God if we try to use our limited okay. human understanding of time and space. Yes. So we, we, we obviously know that there's a, a, a certain kind of silliness to the whole idea in one sense. On the other hand, I don't think that, that the Lord is, is going to be upset with us for using the 
best imagination and thought we've got, we need to be we need to be careful to know that's exactly the limit that we're up against and that we're not going to figure heaven out. I don't have any problem with that. It obviously is going to be way beyond. Yes. I remember my mother teaching me that we will be in Joseph, do you think we'll be able to visit with those folk and 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 have them share? I mean, it's an interesting idea, huh? At least. I think we'll know. You think we'll know? You think we'll just? You think we'll just? Now we'll know. Yes. It'll just all be clear, and all all the questions I'm trying to propose will be unnecessary because we'll have the answer. Yes. But, uh, you got it now. Okay. That uh, that might that might be the way it is. It's just it's just a sudden knowing. Where's the scripture? We will know even as we are known. Okay. But heaven is our home. We uh, the whole human race has been a race of exiles coming back to the Father. This parable helps us with that. We know that it's going to be a matter of our relationship with God and the mending and the perfecting of relationships with every with everybody else. It's, it's got to have some of that quality. Not every relationship has been very easy here in this world. But that the grace and mercy of God has indeed reconciled us 2 Corinthians 5, that God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. So it's in Christ that we have that. And Paul goes on to say, and he has committed to us the ministry of this reconciliation. That's our story to tell, isn't it? That God makes everything new and reconciles us to himself. And that... um, we are going to live with him forever and ever. Can you figure out forever and ever? No. So one portion of this uh, is 
that there is a, a mind-blowing quality to it, that no matter how, how much hint the Bible gives us as what it might be like, or how much we can wonder what heaven would be like, uh, we don't know. There's a great deal. Anybody else with another? Yes. Yes. Well, if I get what I want, uh, it would simply be a piece. Not necessarily anything that I'm looking at or mm-hmm. physically, uh, but just a sense of peace, contentment. Uh, I've, I guess, reached my reward. It's interesting that in every one of Paul's letters, he starts off with two things, grace and peace. It's the grace that brings the peace. So by the grace of God, we have peace. We have peace with Christ, and we will have peace. I think that's, that's there's, there's no doubt that that's important. And I've shared with you before that uh, my father was a man who was anxious about dying. And uh, in his last couple of days at the hospital, when the doctor cardiologist told him he had a cardiac ejection, Fraction of 11% said, Ken, there's nothing I can do for you. And I said, Dad, you want to stay here in this hospital or you want to go home? He said, I want to go home. So we took him home to die. I don't know how a, um, a frail old man can last 10 or 11 days on nothing but occasional ice chips. Isn't that amazing? If, you put, if I got in the bed and ate ice chips for 10 or 11 days, I think I'd be a goner. And those last couple of days, uh, the, he had visions of heaven. He saw, his, he saw his brother and his sister and his mother and father. And friends, he saw Sarah's uncle. And then I asked him about his friend Hobbs. Dad, you see Hobbs? And he's laying in the bed, looking out over the end of the bed. And his eyes are just going, checking. Yes, he saw Hobbs. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, the other thing that uh, I thought was amazing about that was that um, my brother's youngest son and my cousin's daughter, who was not a practicing Christian, both saw the giant angel over in the corner. I didn't see it. A large angel, really big, is That kind of whets your appetite, doesn't it, to think that, 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 um, because this story should help us have hope and should uh, give us a sense that whatever it is that God's got prepared for us, it's going to be okay. But it's also going to be mind-blowing, right? Let's pray. Our Father, you have told us so much in your word. You've told us that we should trust you, that you have gone to prepare a place for us. And uh, we would be those who would live in hope and expectation. Uh, and what it's going to be like, we, we know that we don't know. But we know that you have promised us uh, a, a home with you forever. And we praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you, Paul. Is that not a wonderful gift that Paul has given us for three weeks of all the study and time and energy and knowledge? We appreciate you. Our Bible verse this week is in your mailing, and it is the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4:19. And that me there was Paul, but I like to think that me there is also me. So God will take care of us this week. You know, Philippians, or the church at Philippi was the first church in Europe that was established, and it was in Macedonia. So uh, Paul is in prison at this point, and the first little church at Philippi has had their GIC. They have gathered up their money, and they have sent it by, who is it, Epaphroditus, to Paul in Rome to help him and to help continue his ministry. So I thought that was kind of cool because they were sending that to their missionary so that it would take, take care of him and help him to go forward. And he basically in Philippians is writing his little thank you note back to them. But as I was looking at that, I thought there's a lot of neat stuff in Philippians. So we may play around in those four little chapters a little bit. But remember this coming week that the same God who took care of Paul and who takes care of me will supply all of your needs in his glorious riches which have been given to us, and those are the riches that come to us through Christ Jesus. So have a great week. Okay.